0: Good morning. This is part number four of a four-part series uh, called The Path. And just to give you some information about this, where kind of it came from, this is something, a concept that I have been teaching in student ministry. When I began that 27 years ago, I can't believe I'm that old, but I am. I really am. I am not 19 years old. No. No laughter. They, not. they, they believe know. me. They believe that. They believe me. <laughs> totally believe me. Um, so this concept, when, but when I recently heard Andy Stanley teach this concept, it just kind of rekindled it in my heart. And uh, as the staff, we just want to do our best to present it to you as accurately as possible because this concept is something we need to be talking about and we need to know. Uh, There's a verse that we used along with this a couple of weeks ago, and the verse basically said this, a prudent person, a wise person, they see danger ahead down the road on the path they're on, they see danger, and they take refuge, they do something. But a simple person, they are on that path, same path, they see danger, and the Bible says they don't do anything and as a result they suffer harm and so that's kind of part of this principle the principle of the path says this your path determines your place your path not your intentions not your hopes even if you're on a path and you say God please do this but if you're on a path headed this way your path determines your place not your intentions not your hopes not your dreams not your prayers your path determines your place and today we're going to be adding to that but before we do let me then let you know what we talked about The next week we learned from this verse that I just read, we learned that there are some warning signs. If you're looking, if you're on a path and you see warning signs or someone in your life warns you, hey, there's danger ahead, then you have to do something about it if you want to stay on a good path following God. And last week we said, even if you are the wisest person in the world, the smartest person in the world, you don't have every Everything you need to stay on a path of following God. Even if you're the wisest, the smartest, the person with the most common sense, it's not enough. That's what we talked about last week because we need actually, even if we have all of those things, we still desperately need God in every single decision because we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste. So either we work with this principle of the path Or we break ourselves against it. We don't really break the principle. We break ourselves against the principle. The path determines your place. The path, not your intentions, determine the place. And that leads us to today as we're going to finish that phrase that's the principle of the path. So we know the path determines our place. But whatever gets our attention picks our path. That's the last of the, the principle of the path. Your path determines your place, but whatever gets your attention picks your path we use phrases like something got my attention or something grabbed my attention or something captured my attention. And usually when something grabs our attention, captures our attention, then our life, we may be headed one direction, but when it captures our attention, it pulls us in a whole new direction. That's kind of the image there in my life. Let me give you a couple examples of this. I know when I was a teenager, My life, something really happened, and my attention went in a whole new direction, and that's the direction my life went in. And that's related to what I learned from my youth minister as I was a teenager. And and my life was radically changed in an amazing way because my youth minister, my student minister, helped my attention shift as my life began to pursue God. That's one way that where I had a radical change of attention and my life went with it. Let me give you another way. In my adult life, in 1995, that's when Rick Warren published the book, The Purpose Driven Church, not The Purpose Driven Life, that came later. This was called The Purpose Driven Church. It was really geared toward pastors and church planters, although obviously anybody can read it and be encouraged. But specifically, as, as as a You know, as a staff person, as a minister, as a pastor, that... This was something that radically changed my attention and therefore the direction of my ministry years ago, way back in 1995, because of what was in that book and how God used Rick Warren to dramatically change the direction of my ministry. And a lot of that has to do with even how I do things today and and because of what God planted in my life and moved my attention Good things, amazing things for me. that was just me personally, but we 've all had po- probably some things in our life that have uh, have our, our attention has shifted, and great things have happened and for you, for some of you. Stuttgart Harvest Church is one of those things. Stuttgart Harvest Church possibly helped you refocus and helped you uh, give your attention, helped you pay attention to some really critical things you needed to in your life, your relationship with God, and your life is beginning to radically change. You're seeing a difference in your life because Stuttgart Harvest has helped you change that. As your attention goes, that's the direction your life goes. But if you're like me, you've also got some things in your life where your attention was captured. There was somebody, a person in your life that captured your attention. And maybe you were headed one way, but this person captured your attention and your life began to go a whole new direction. Maybe there was something you that captured your attention. And because of that, your life went a whole new direction as you began pursuing that thing. Because... Your path will always determine your place, but what gets your attention gets to pick your path. Your path determines your place, but what gets your attention gets to pick your path. You know, sometimes the things that grab us move us in an an amazing good direction, but so often those things that get our attention don't. And this morning we're saying there's probably some things in your life that you wish you had actually paid attention to. There's probably some things in your life that you wish you had given your attention to, but we didn't. And we allowed our attention to be captured and we went another direction instead. Imagine how different your life might have been. Maybe you had a parent whose attention was captured by another person that wasn't their spouse. And because of that, they pursued that, and their life went that direction. Imagine how your life might have been different had that parent given attention, paid attention to the things they needed to pay attention to. Maybe this morning, maybe maybe there's an addiction that is just kicking your tail and and maybe maybe it has captured your attention and maybe for you you could imagine saying this if i had only given my attention to something else, if I had only paid attention to something else, instead of allowing my attention to be captured in my life, to be drawn in another direction. You see, the things that capture our attention, as opposed to the things that we choose to give our attention to, that we choose to pay attention to, those things that seem to grab our attention, that seem to capture attention, usually take us down a dangerous path. I know that's a generalization, it's not always true, but we're going to be kind of looking at that picture today.
1: Yeah, where I'm going to jump in is, first of all, we know that everything that we talk about on Sundays has something to do with God's relationship with us or our relationship with God. And, And here we are talking about a very, very personal God who desires uh, you to get to the right destination or the right place in every area of your life. And we were talking about um, the, the path leading to the place and our attention determines our path. And we were kind of going through who is a character or an individual from the Bible that probably best can describe today and, and our what we struggle with on a daily basis and our path as we Head ...to our eventual destination, and, and the one that we were able to kind of hone in on is the life of King Solomon. Um, now, King Solomon, we know, is the son of King David, Queen Bathsheba, and he is be going to become the king of Israel... And he probably becomes the king of Israel somewhere around the age of 20. Uh, different, uh, different people think he was anywhere from 12 to 24. I think the most conservative viewpoint is he was probably about 20 years old when he comes to the throne. And we look in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verses 9 and 10. We see King David, Solomon's father, giving him this last little bit of advice on Just this last little bit of snippet of wisdom on here is how you need to proceed with your life. And this is actually on David's deathbed. I mean David is about to die and he brings his son Solomon who's going to uh, become the king of Israel following his death. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 28... Starting in verse 9, he says, And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. I'm going to be coming back to that several times this morning. Learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him, but if you forsake him, he will reject you. So take this, so take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. David is giving Solomon this last little bit of deathbed fatherly advice. And he's saying, if I could tell you one thing, it is this. Follow uh, the ancestors, uh, the, the God of your ancestors, and follow him intimately. In other words, Solomon, keep your attention on God. That is where your attention has got to stay. If your attention stays on God, your attention will choose your path, and your path will choose your eventual destination. And in the beginning of Solomon's life, in the beginning of Solomon's reign, Solomon heeded those words. He heeded those words of advice. In fact, we find out in the, uh, in the book of 1 Kings, Solomon, um, the Bible tells us in verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3. Um, it says, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. At this point in Israel's history, the temple is yet to be built. The house of God has yet to be built in the nation of Israel. And the reason was not that David didn't want to do it. David desperately wanted to build the temple, but God said, No, it's, it's not your job. You've been a man of war, and I'm not going to give you that responsibility, that opportunity. It's going to fall to Solomon. It's going to fall to your son. So this is before Solomon Begins the building of the temple. And we know that the building of the temple took place at about the fourth year of Solomon's reign. So Solomon's somewhere probably 21, 22 years old. And the Bible tells us in verse 4, that it it tells us that he's going to worship and he's going to offer uh, burnt sacrifices to God. And the Bible tells us that the most important of these places in verse 4 was at Gibeon. So Solomon went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. Verse 5, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Basically what we have here is God coming to Solomon in a dream and basically saying, Solomon, here's a blank check. I've signed it. Fill it in. It's yours. What do you want? Anything. Whatever your heart desires, I'm going to give it to you. That's a pretty powerful, uh, pretty exciting opportunity that Solomon finds himself in. I mean, he's been giving a blank check by God. Verse 6, Solomon replied, You showed great faith. And faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O God, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a child who doesn't know his way around. Verse 8. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10, the Bible says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. He was given a blank check. And Solomon asked for wisdom and discernment. Now, that is not a surprise to pro- anyone that knows the story of Solomon. Likely, when you came in this morning, if we would have done a quick poll as everybody came in and said w- one word to describe Solomon, most people probably would have said wisdom. And, and and, without a doubt, Solomon was probably, I guess, the wisest man that has ever lived. And he was definitely the wisest man that lived in this day and time. Solomon was giving an, given an unbelievable gift by God. But remember, his attention was focused solely on the God of his ancestors. In fact, we know that because of Solomon's wisdom, the kingdom of Israel grew in wealth, it grew in power, prestige, reputation. We know that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. We know that he wrote, of course, Song of Solomon. We know he wrote toward the later, latter. What are you, 14? Yes. It's because.
0: 19, excuse
1: me, 19. (laughs) We know that later in his life, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gave God his full attention. And as a result of that, Solomon's path was leading him into a place that we'll find out later brought Israel to its zenith
0: of power. So let's look at some of that wisdom in the Song of Solomon. No, (laughs) no, not today. 14, man. Proverbs. We do want to look at some of that wisdom that Solomon had, because God gave it to him. Did
1: you Did you sit in the back of church and highlight, you know, and stuff? Song of the Solomon? Song, in the back. On a
0: slow Sunday morning? Yeah. Absolutely, Those I did. specific words, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. That's why we have a dark theater, so you can't read <laughs> Song of Solomon. You got to read what we're reading, right? So, let's get a glance at this wisdom. It's the principle of the path, and here it is. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Solomon's saying this with his wisdom that God gave him, he said, look straight ahead, fix your eyes. In other words, he's saying, fix your attention, pay attention, give attention, fix your eyes on what lies before you. Verse 26, mark out a straight path for your feet, stay on a safe path. Verse 27, don't get sidetracked, he says. In other words, choose to pay attention. Don't let your attention get captured or grabbed. He's saying, choose to pay attention straight ahead of you. Keep your feet, he says, from following evil. As if he were writing to a young man and a young man said, listen, Solomon, King Solomon, why should I look straight ahead? Why should I pay attention to what's in front of me? And it's as if Solomon is saying the principle of the path, saying your path, young man, your path determines your place, but... But whatever gets your attention is going to choose or pick your path for you. Generally, what gets our attention is in front of us. Solomon's saying, listen, pay attention. What grabs our attention is off to the sides, right? What captures our attention. You know, last week we said this. Solomon's saying, fix your eyes. You know, pay attention, Bring God into all of these areas, these ways of your life. In every single way of your life, bring God into it. Choose to pay attention. And you know what happens? He will make your path clear. Fix your eyes. Give your attention to this. Pay attention to this. Don't let it be captured. Because where your attention goes... There goes your life. Where your eyes go, there goes your life. You know, Solomon ruled for 40 years
1: over the kingdom of Israel. And those 40 years were without a doubt the zenith of Israel's history. Um, And and during Solomon's reign, again, Israel grew in wealth, power, prestige. It was arguably the most powerful nation in the world during the 40-year period that Solomon reigned. And, And I thought it would be interesting to just pull from the Bible some examples of Solomon's Israel. Of, of As a result of Solomon's attention to the God of his ancestors, his attention staying fo- solely focused on God in every aspect of his life, what his path, what, what destination that path led him to. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verses 20 through 24, and I'm not going to read all of these, but we're going to pick a few. The Bible says that the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand of the seashore. They were very contented with plenty to eat and drink. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River in the north to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt in the south. The conquered people of those lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. The Bible tells us a little bit later on that in one year, speaking of that tribute money, in one year the Bible tells us that these these nations that gave tribute to Israel... Amounted to 666 talents of gold, which is just shy of 40,000 pounds of gold in one year. Israel was the most powerful nation in the world during the reign of Solomon. I thought you were going to say something, wasn't you? (laughs) Verse 22. Yes. There you go. The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace, just his palace in one day. 150 bushels of choice flour, 300 bushels of meal, 10 oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 10 sheep or goats, deer, gazelle, poultry. It's a pretty good spread. Pretty good. That's a pretty They impressive. needed
0: all that flour because they deep-fried them. Everything. It Everything was, so was deep-fried.
1: But we're talking about, we're talking about in one day, that is what Solomon's palace Whew. required. Verse 25, during the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety... And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had its own home and garden. Solomon had 4,000 stalls of chariot horses, and he had 12,000 horses, which we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Verse 29, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, the Bible says that his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including And the Bible gives us a list of several individuals that he was wiser than. Verse 32 tells us that he composed 3,000 proverbs, 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority on all kinds of plants. Uh, He could speak about animals, birds, small creatures, fish, and all kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Simply put, Solomon had it going on. Israel had it going on. Why? Yeah. Because Solomon's attention Remained solely focused On the God of his ancestors And his attention chose
0: his path And his path led to that destination Exactly But then Something changed His attention was captured He stopped giving He stopped paying attention Choosing to give his attention to God His attention got captured He got sidetracked And it impacted his life, and his life followed his attention. And the sad fact is, for Solomon, but it's true for you and it's true for me, the sad fact is this, our greatest enemy is not a person. Your greatest enemy most often is yourself. Your deepest wounds most frequently are self-inflicted. When Solomon was at the pinnacle, the top of life, and the people around him, countries, nations around him, looking at him, thinking, this dynasty he has created is going to last forever. They are going to rule this area forever. That's what they must have thought. I mean, given how extravagant this was because... Because his attention was so squarely fixed on God, now, now he was going to fall. And as we look at this, we have to learn this lesson. That what happened to him, we are also vulnerable. We may not be kings and presidents and senators, this can still happen to us in Arkansas, right here, right now. It is foolish and arrogant for us to think that we are immune to what happened to Solomon. But this story forces us to face that we have things that are trying to capture our attention and we have to deal with those things
1: yes yeah, Solomon's attention changes and it changes in a way that is probably pretty applicable in the 21st century you see Solomon liked the ladies Solomon really liked the ladies a lot of ladies a lot of ladies in 1st Kings chapter 11 the Bible tells us that King Solomon it, it, pretty blunt here loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. And this is in direct conflict to the law that Moses had given to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses literally laid down the law, God's law, to Israel. And, and Moses included in Deuteronomy chapter 7 a couple of verses because he said, look, you're going to eventually want a human king. And when that happens, there are a few things that they must not do. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 16 and 17 he says the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses for the Lord has told you you must never return to Egypt. That's strike one. Solomon did that. Now he did it with good intentions. He did it because well that's the best way for, for me to protect my people. Verse 17 the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. That's strike two. Now, he did it with very good intentions because in that day and time, what was the best way to keep peace and harmony among the different kingdoms and different city-states in the area? Well, it was obviously to marry the daughters of the king. If you marry the king's daughter, then now we have a, we have a bond, especially. And then if you have a, a, a child, then, well, there's a, there's a unity there. So it was good intentions. He had a lot of unity. Well, we ain't got there yet. We're getting there. <laughs> And then the Bible in verse 17 continues and says that he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Strike three. Because remember in one year, almost 40,000 pounds of gold in tribute. You say, but wait a second, that, that, that makes, makes sense. And if, if you're a king, don't you want to protect Israel's interests? Because in fact the Bible tells us that that's what Solomon did. Solomon knew that what he was doing was against the law in Deuteronomy. But He says, but I'm protecting Israel's interests. So he kind of says, well, the ends justify the means, so to speak. But you see, the difference in Solomon and David. David, in the book of Psalm, chapter 20, verse 7, David writes, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of of the Lord our God. David said, God protects us. No chariot can protect us. No marriage with, uh, with, with, with other kings and city-states can make a difference. And no amount of wealth and money can make a difference. It, it's God that protects the nation of Israel. You see, yes, did Solomon's interest turn to foreign wives? Absolutely. In fact, if we continue on to verse 2 and 3, the Bible says that the Lord had clearly, it clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their God. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. Verse 3, he had 700... Not 70, not 7, 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. So, earlier, Solomon liked the ladies. (laughs) That's an understatement. But, again, the intentions were kind of pure. I'm sure they weren't totally pure, but they were kind of pure. We see over the course of Solomon's life a slow change in his attention. In the beginning of his reign, Solomon's sole attention was to the God of his ancestors. Every decision Solomon made, God was somewhere in the middle of it. As Solomon's 40 year reign continues, we're going to see that by the end of it, we can't even recognize the Solomon at age 60 as opposed to Solomon of age 20.
0: Yeah. You know, at some point, this was no longer for Solomon about status. At some point, it was no longer about sex. At some point, this was about a sickness that Solomon had in his soul because the Bible tells us, it continues, it says, And in fact, they, talking about the wives, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. They captured his attention, and that's where his life went. Why? Because our path determines our place. And whatever gets our attention, that's what picks our path. It's like when you're teaching your child, your teenager, to drive. Scary moments, I know. But when you teach your child to look in the 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 mirrors before they change lane, but that's not enough that you have to turn your head and actually look into the lane beside you so you can pick up your blind spots, right? And what happens every single time when you teach them that the first time, they have a hold of the wheel and they look to the blind spot and they turn the wheel to go with them, right? They do it every single time. You have to train them not to do that, but that's what happens. And that's what happens with our attention whatever gets our attention that's exactly where our life goes and that's what happened here to Solomon these ladies captured his attention
1: now on the surface we say well it was it was the women that took Solomon. But really and truly, it was Solomon's trust and confidence in his own wisdom and intelligence. Because Solomon says numerous places, I can handle this. The Bible tells us that Solomon said, yes, I know the law said that, but it really doesn't apply to me because I'm pretty. You know, God did give me the gift of wisdom. So it's really Solomon's uh, arrogance. arrogance that 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 is his downfall. Now, I'm going to finish up here by kind of giving you a picture of Solomon's downfall. Now remember, this is the same Solomon that just roughly 40 years prior built the temple. Just 40 years prior had built Israel to the zenith of its power. And this is where we pick up Solomon in verse 4. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods. As Solomon grew, as he got older, his heart began to slowly turn away and get further and further away from God. It wasn't a overnight thing, it was a process instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been, as his father David had told him, now he continued to worship at the temple he continued to do what it was that the king of Israel was supposed to do He's, he's still, on the surface it still looked as though Solomon was still focusing on the God
0: of his ancestors it is so difficult to not stop there and do a whole series, because that. Well, we've got 15. Minutes, we can't do it. So that that is can't. where we find ourselves, though, isn't it? So many of us, all of us, myself included, at times in our life have tried to do both. I, I can pay attention to her, and I can follow God at the same time. Let me give you an example. When Solomon, the same Solomon, wrote Proverbs and Song of
1: Solomon. Huh? <laughs> he, sang, he sang it. He anyway, sang that. He also wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And, and we know that he wrote Ecclesiastes later in his life as his life was beginning to, the attention was beginning to focus. And I actually didn't even have this in my notes. And, and I wanted to, this is one specific verse from the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and you tell me what, this is Solomon talking. This is Solomon's heart. What does this say about Solomon's heart? It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 14. I observed everything going on, on under the sun And really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. That doesn't jive with the Solomon that we talked to in the beginning, or talked about in the beginning of this message. His heart is changing. It's happening slowly, but his heart is changing. And we can see it. If you read the Ecclesiastes, it is very different from the Proverbs. You see a very different Solomon when you read the Ecclesiastes as opposed to the Proverbs. Um, verse 5, Solomon, and then and again, just to kind of further illustrate, yes, he was still worshiping in the temple. Yes, he was still doing all of those things. He wrote a book of the Bible toward the end of his life, Ecclesiastes. Solomon worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Now, Ashtoreth was a goddess of sex and fertility, whose worship involved licentious rites and worship of the stars. Verse six in this way Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father as his father David had done. Again, the attention is beginning to shift. Verse seven on the Mount of Olives. Now, if you know anything at all about the Bible, you know that the Mount of Olives, pretty important location. There's gonna be a pretty big event take place at the Mount of Olives sometime in the future. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, the Bible says that he even built a pagan shrine. He sponsored it. He paid for it. And it would stand for 300 years. And it was built by the same Solomon that we talked about at the beginning of his reign. And it was built for Chimash, the detestable god of Moab. This, uh, and, and, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. By the way, Molech, worship of Molech involved human sacrifice, especially of children. Solomon has completely went in a different direction. Now, he's still holding on to the god of his ancestors. He's still got like a toenail over here. But his true attention has begun to it has com- really almost completely changed. Verse right. 8, Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing for their gods. Simply put, the Solomon at the end of his life, at the end of his 40-year reign, we cannot even recognize as opposed to the Solomon we talked about when he was in his 20s and 30s and the Solomon that took Israel to the zenith
0: of its power and prestige. Yeah, and it's all because his attention was captured his attention was captured and that picked his path for his life and that landed him in a very specific place we don't even recognize this solomon compared to the solomon who said god i I need your wisdom who can lead such a mighty nation your nation god i need your wisdom to do this we don't recognize this guy do we Because something captured his attention. His attention picked his path. And his path led to a very specific place. In fact, the place that it led to was not just a devastated life for Solomon. But it also devastated the entire nation. It devastated the nation. The truth is here that the nation was ripped apart after Solomon, because of what Solomon did, the nation was ripped apart. It not only devastated him, it not only devastated his nation, but this path also had impact and influence on his son, the son of the wisest man to have ever lived, wisdom given to him by God. You would think his son would have This wisdom, right? That it would be there. He was around it. He saw it. He was taught it. But no, his son was quite the idiot. And his son became king after Solomon. And because of the decisions of his son, that's when it all erupted and the nation was obliterated, divided. They would never be the same. And it all happened... Because something captured the attention of Solomon. He stopped paying attention to what he needed to. He stopped giving his attention to where it needed to be. And his attention was captured. And that set his path for his life. And he went down that path which led to a very specific place. And it was devastating. The impact of sin the impact of this path was tragic a relationship his his relationship with god was derailed and it didn't just impact him but it impacted his family it impacted the entire nation the person that could have been great, could have been amazing, his life dissolves into a sigh. When we don't guard the attention of our heart, even the wisest person in the world is capable of very stupid decisions that impact them and their families dramatically. Just like Solomon impacted him, his nation, his son. And even though King Solomon never faced a battle from another nation, never had his foot on the battlefield, he lost the battle of his attention. And it destroyed the nation. The same thing can happen for us. Because your path will always take you to a very specific place. Always. And whatever gets your attention will always pick your path for you. So here's some questions as we end today. The first question is this. What has captured your attention? Who Who has grabbed your attention and your life is beginning to follow that path, that person? Who has captured your attention? Think of it another way. What thing perhaps has grabbed your attention? Is there something? It may be a person. It could be a thing. It could be something that has grabbed your attention and your life is now headed off that way. Here's a second question. First question, what has captured your attention? Who has captured your attention? But here's the second question. To what do you need to pay attention to? To choose to give your attention to? I can say for all of us, we need to choose to give our attention to coming together on Sundays and worshiping God and growing, taking steps with him. I know for all of us this morning, we need to choose to pay attention to getting into a small group and growing together and having that support and encouragement from other believers. I know this morning we can say we need to pay attention, choose to give our attention to daily spending time with God, praying to him, getting into his word. For all of us, I know I can say we need to choose to pay attention, to give our attention to serving. But there's more than that for most of us. Some of us need to add to that a choice to pay attention to our marriage. Some of us need to add to that a choice to give our attention to. To our family. Some of us need to add to that to pay attention to our family finances. Some of us need to add to that to choose to give our attention to encouraging the spiritual growth of our children. We need to make a choice. And the question is this what do you need to choose in giving your attention? What do you need to choose in paying attention? Two questions this morning. Because we know that our path determines our place, and we know whatever gets our attention always chooses our path for us. And God was so gracious to give us this information thousands of years ago as he had Solomon write it down. It's in our scriptures. Now, here's the truth as we finish this this morning. Here's the truth. This morning, if you don't choose to pay attention, if you don't make the choice to give your attention and instead allow it to be captured, There will be a moment that you will go back to this with your mind and you will say, I wish I could go back and relive this. I wish I could go back and redo this. I wish I could go back and do it over and pay attention and give my attention instead of it being captured. I wish I could. But the truth is we can't go back. We only have right now. And as soon as we finish this next song that we're going to do, and I close this in prayer, as soon as we do that, you are going to go back into your life. And everything, everything in your life is the very same way you left it when you walked into here this morning. And it's going to stay the same unless you do something about it. Whatever gets your attention gets to choose your path. And your path will always determine your place. Maybe you need to lay these principles out before God this week. Maybe you need to get his help to do something different. What has captured your attention? And where do you need to make a choice to pay attention And give your attention. Let's pray. God. We need your help. So that we don't have to live lives of continual regret. God we need your help. So that we don't have to live a life on another path. Where our attention has been captured. But God we can make a choice right now. To choose to pay attention to you and include you in all these areas of our lives. We can choose to give you attention and we can choose to give attention to our marriage and to our children, to our finances. God, we can make a choice to pay attention or we can just simply live with our attention captured and our hearts moving away from you. But God, we know that you have something you want to accomplish in our lives. We have this church, something you want to accomplish within this church, in these communities that we live. You are not finished with us. If we can only choose to give you attention, to pay attention, there are so many lives you want to touch. And God, may we make that choice so we can be a part of it. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, we pray. We are so grateful. Amen.